All right, if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn in them to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 7. We're going to start in Matthew 19, but 1 Corinthians 7 is where we're going to spend most of our time. And so if you need message notes, there are ushers around and they have message notes for you and pens if you'd like to take notes. Um, as you may know, we've launched this, uh, this series on real relationships. And uh, the first week we talked about how to love your neighbor as yourself. Oh, Mike, you missed some over here to your right. Mike, Mike, missed some over here. There you go. <laughs> um, the, we talked about uh, the first week, loving your neighbor as yourself and how important it is to understand who you are and what God has done in your life and what kind of needs you have and if he wants to meet them. And then, of course, um, last week we began to talk about relationships Jesus's way and make no mistake, Jesus has a way that he wants relationships to happen. And so if you missed either one of those, you can go to onechapel.com and check out the podcast there. And uh, I encourage you to do that and catch up on these ideas. Because here, here's, here's the truth. As, a, as your pastor, what I want to tell you is a series like this is one of the most pivotal kinds of series that we can do. Because it is my belief it is a premise of doing church, of gathering people in a location and, and, and from all kinds of neighborhoods and communities that we really don't do anything if we don't do relationships well. Because right? relationships are the foundation of all genuine and authentic ministry by God. God is relational. He invited us into a relationship with him. And he is in his essence, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is in his essence relational. And he's invited us into a relationship with him. And he wants us to be in relationship with one another. And so it is the foundation of everything. It's the foundation of discipleship. It's the foundation of spiritual growth. It's the foundation of all these things. And if you don't get that relationships and how they, uh, how they work, how they function best, if you don't have that down. If you don't understand that from the scriptures, man, you're not going to enjoy one chapel for very long. <laughs> and so on this series, we're going to touch a few what I would call uh, topics that maybe aren't your normal um, relationship topics. Uh, today, the title of the message is A Single Focus. A Single Focus. And uh, I, I, I think we have, to, we have to understand that there are all kinds of people in this room and the, the different uh, stages of life that we're in, the different perspectives we hold, um, the, the, the different statuses of our relationships, if you will, how that all comes together under the umbrella of who Jesus is, significant. And so today, I want to talk a little bit to all of us. I want to talk to our, our church, our community about singleness, about singleness. And I do not want all you married people to check out on me. Like, I'm, I like, you're, you're like, oh, we're already sitting down. Listen, there is a rise of singleness in America. 
There is a rise of singleness in America, and for the first time, check this out, there are more single people in this generation than there are married people. Yeah, oh, that's news. Hmm. You didn't know that? Oh, what have you been doing being married? The median age of first marriage rose to 29.5 for men and 27.4 for women. That's from Pew Research. That's first marriages. By the time today's young adults reach the age of 50, about one in four of them will have been single all their life. (laughs) Some of you are starting to weep now. Stop it. It's okay. It's okay. That's so, okay. Listen, check this out. In Austin, in Austin, the current statistics are 37% of the people living in Austin are married. Sixty. That means, and and these are v- different variations of single people, right? These are these are divorced single people. These are separated single people. These are these these are all this this statistic goes from. Uh, the people over the age of 15. So 15 and up, these are, the, these, are, these are the numbers. 37% are married, 63% are single. So it is vitally important in our, what we would call our cultural moment in America that we get a handle on who we are as God's people and what's going on in our culture, in our society, and how we relate to each other in a way that is healthy and strong and wise and willing. And we're gonna touch maybe some, we'll touch a few little sensitive topics here, you know, as we, as we go along the way. Um, you know, I, 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 think, I think there's a, there's a way in which we, we kinda don't understand each other sometimes. Um, marrieds and single people. And, and so I think there tends to be a, a, an unnecessary conflict that sort of arises between these two groups. And, and uh, I remember, you know, when I got married, I kind of lost a bunch of my single friends. And, 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 and then the, it's like even worse when you have babies because none of your single friends want to be around you anymore. And um, there's, a, there's a thing that happens there that's, that is significant. We shouldn't minimize it. We should try to understand it. And we should think about its impact on our relationships as a church, and we should think about its impact on our city, the city we live in, the communities we are a part of. So, so I, when I, the church that I was a part of before I came and started One Chapel had a ministry to, um, to special needs uh, adults, and, and they were... <clears throat> they were mentally and physically handicapped. O- almost all of them, they, were, they, were, they had aged out of the care for them, of the system. And um, <clears throat> so they were, they were struggling. And we had a, a, a lady, we, <laughs> she was like a, a Mother Teresa in our community. And she, she just started this ministry and, th- and, and it, just, it just started to blossom and filled our church with people who were just struggling um, uh, mentally and physically. And, um, <coughs> and so it, it, it created a lot of 
fun and laughter sometimes, and then it created a lot of risks uh, on the other hand, and, um, and people didn't know what to do sometimes. But I, I was, one of my pastor friends uh, was asked by a couple who had fallen in love in this group of, of people, we want to get married. And so he married them and uh, kind of went through premarital counseling and did all this stuff and, and worked through it. And he, he, they, they got married. And, and then a few weeks later, he saw them at church. Now, these are, these are, uh, <clears throat> these are mentally ha- handicapped, disabled um, people. They're, they're, they only have a certain, uh, uh, they're high functioning. And so they're interacting with people just fine. Uh, and, they, and they have jobs and, they, and all this, but they're just kind of working through the process differently. And so, um, so he goes up to him and he says, hey, how's it going? Right, the pastor does too. He's, they're married, they've been married for a few years. How's it going? And they were like, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's pretty good. And um, he said, well, how's, how's sex? <laughs> and then, and, 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 <laughs> the guy looked at John, who was my pastor friend, and he pointed to his wristband. He said, John, true love waits. <laughs> he was totally serious. True love waits. John pulled him aside. <laughs> said, brother, it's okay now. You're, you're married. It's okay. You can, you, you, it's all right. And he talked him through it. Next Sunday, he sees him. The guy comes running down the aisle. John, you're my best friend in the world. You're the best pastor ever. That is a true story. We're going to start with a scripture that has a little awkwardness to it. A little awkwardness to it, but I want to dive in, and then I want to I want to speed through some of this uh, first part so that we can get kind of to the end, which I think was where all the the really uh, meaty stuff of the message is. But Matthew 19, verse 8 through 12, says Jesus replied, "Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another woman, commits adultery." The disciples said to him, "If this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry." The disciples said to him, "Or sorry," Jesus replied, "Not everyone can accept this word." but only those whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who were born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others. And there are those who choose, choose, circle that word, choose to live like eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. Now, let me say by this, by this moment in the, in the talk, I am not single, and you know that by the presence of my wife in this church. And, um, and I have five kids, and um, I am not an expert on being single. Um, I was single till I was 26 years old, um, and, uh, and, and then I got married. But it's not an exaggeration to say that I have spent 
countless hours coaching people through what they're experiencing in life, through spiritual formation, through wrestling through their issues and, and through, their, um, through what's going on in their life. And, and so I, I, I believe that there is something God wants to give us together, but, but please understand that as I say these things, you'll, you'll, you'll allow me to kind of wander around areas uh, of, of your life from the point of view of the scriptures and not just from the point of view of me being an expert. That we all look to the scriptures together and that's what creates a community. And so there, there are major shifts in our society that we have to deal with. And the Apostle Paul is written something in 1 Corinthians that we'll get to here in a moment that I think helps crystallize for us what we're working with in relationships. Um, his intent was that he would calm the anxiety of those who maybe were single. I think that was his heart, but it is my, <laughs> it is my impression as I look around us that single anxiety seems at an, a rate that's unprecedented in our culture. And when you simply consider the staggering number of websites, apps, uh, <laughs> dating services, it's overwhelming. Every, everything from harmony.com to match.com, right, to farmers only, dot <laughs> um, com, uh, christianmingle.com. I mean, it is like every, every unique demographic has their own thing. But it's so important that we understand what's happening as a result of these things in our 21st century relational context. There's a book called Celibate Sex written by Abby Smith and she says this, she says, singles today are widow, a widow of sorts, needing to be listened to and needing a framework for who we are and how we fit into the Christian family. What does it mean to abstain from sex while respecting sexual wirings? What does it mean to be content in one's singleness while longing toward marriage? Can I be sexual without a spouse? Is, and is it a spouse, and is a spouse something I'm allowed to keep hoping for? What does it mean to be beautiful and embody sexuality? What does it mean to wait well and proactively or to desire genuinely and passionately? If you're a single person, you may have wrestled with fears of loneliness, fears about loneliness, experiencing an unfulfilled longing in your life. You may, um, you're maybe getting older and, and you're wondering about children. You know, your, 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 your friends may be getting married around you and, or, and you're on social media and you can see the second child or the third child in these former friends. <sighs> who now have backyards. You know, it's like there's a, there's a thing that happens and can happen inside of you. And the question is deep and it's meaningful and it's real. It's how do I trust God? Should I use technology to work on this? Should I date a supportive non-believer? Are there enough eligible people going to this church? 
are there enough eligible people going to the other church that I'm attending so that I can find someone? That was supposed to be funny, but <laughs> kind of got serious in the room there. <laughs> the first line was funny. I thought the second line was funnier. Have Here's the question, here's the qu have the rules changed, people are asking? Should I, like, am I, am I losing my chances, right? This is what a lot of single adults feel like. Am I losing my chances as the next generation comes onto the scene and I look older? Am I losing my way in the market as it's flooded with young, new people? Paul Tillich says, our language has wisely sensed the two sides of being alone. It has created the word, word loneliness to express the pain of being alone. And it has created the word solitude to express the glory of being alone. Another thing is happening in our cultural norm is all sexual taboos seem to be gone. And Sex outside of marriage was taboo at one time, and, and if you think about it, because it was taboo, it was, marriage was the thing that funneled, it funneled people together. Um, but pornography is readily accessible everywhere, utilized by both men and women, so easily accessible that for a huge majority of young men, they, they dis describe um, women as too difficult and porn as easier and more enjoyable than real women, which is a shocking development, um, but in some ways not surprising. Sexual taboos have changed, and if you're single, you're really feeling this. And in, the, in, in, the, in this discussion, in this conversation about real relationships, all of us have to understand this is happening on our watch right here. <laughs> This is happening as we try to serve Jesus and serve one another and are called to our city, right? Like, like we're called to make inroads, to be influencers and to be connectors. And so we've got to ask ourselves the question, what does the Bible say about these things? Is there a theology of, of singleness how can we look at the story of Scripture and understand the role of an unmarried person? Well, good news, I believe that the Bible affirms singleness. The Bible affirms singleness in a way that you might not expect or you might have forgotten in the context of your, the church life you've been exposed to. But number one is Jesus. Jesus is the archetype of humanity. He is the one who we all follow. He is the one that we want to be made like. He was single. Yeah, but you say, but, but he was Jesus. <laughs> Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize, to empathize, is what the scripture says, with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet he did not sin. If you say, oh yeah, but he was Jesus, that's bad theology. That's called docetism, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a belief that there's some kind of separation here. Um, we believe that God sent Jesus into the world, that Jesus was part of the plan as the Son of God, and he was sent, and he was 100% 
divine and 100% human. He was both. He was miraculous in this way, but he experienced life just as you and I do and had to rely on his heavenly Father and on the work of the Holy Spirit to guide him and strengthen him. This is our theology. This is what we believe. That's a major affirmation of singleness. Paul is the second one. Paul was single and believed something truly meaningful about it. It was so significant for him. It was integrated into his calling. He under, that's why we're going to read him in just a few moments here. But he said things like, to the weak I became weak, to win the weak. I have become all things to all people so that by all me possible means I may save some. And we don't know if he was... We don't know, actually, if he was a man, but biblical scholars don't know if he was widowed or his wife left him after he came to Christ or he was never married at all. We really don't know. But we know that he embraced the concept of his purpose and his unmarried status. And, and this is, this is a, an affirmation of singleness in the kingdom of God. It totally committed to it, encouraged others to embrace this calling for themselves. The third is the dignity of the individual. The dignity of the individual is what the Bible teaches. If you go from cover to cover and you look at it, the, the, the arc of the story elevates people, elevates individuals. When Paul is talking to the Galatian Ephesians, or the Galatian church um, in Galatia, he says here, in Galatians 3, 26, so in Christ Jesus, you are all children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor there, neither is there male or, and female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. When Paul wrote these words, it was a radical departure from the norms of his day. A radical, we don't understand how far this was because we live in America. But society was established <clears throat> based on power structures that were violations, slavery, gender abuses, racism rampant in the social, political, and economic power structures of the day. And so when Paul wrote those words, it was like, what? Are you saying, are you saying slaves and Free people should worship together? Are you saying we're all part of something? That we have a, a value that is equal? Paul was teaching about equality here. Equality in Christ. Number four, this is a fun word to say, eschatological view of marriage. An eschatological vision of what marriage actually is. This will surprise a whole bunch of you. Jesus uh, replied in Luke 20, he says, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy of taking part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage. And they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children since they are children of the resurrection. Pharisees had come to trap him with some questions about a guy who married, had uh, brothers who kept dying. <laughs> but here's what Jesus is teaching. Marriage, at its best, is a temporary institution. Huh. It is most definitely a picture and an illustration of Christ and the church. But also, we have to understand 
that Jesus is pointing to a marriage in eternity, what he calls the marriage supper of the Lamb, the culmination of all things. We say in our vows that are rooted in biblical concepts, till death do us part. As Christians, Orthodox Christianity, we do not believe in eternal marriage. We believe that marriage ends when you die. And there is something different Jesus is pointing to in heaven, where marriage is not the thing, because there's a greater marriage imposing itself on all who adhere and love and follow and have Jesus in them, right? We have, a, we have a heavenly marriage. And so at its best, at its best here on the planet, marriage is temporary. This affirms that there's some value in understanding singleness. John Tyson, brilliant author, brilliant uh, pastor in, in uh, New York City, he kind of does it this way. He, he gives a marriage spectrum, and he says there are people who are obsessed with marriage, obsessed with getting marriage getting married, obsessed with all kinds of things uh, about marriage. You find a lot of churches being married-centric and, and, and a lot of family discussions. Um, and and there's, in the Christian community, sometimes we are obsessed with the idea of marriage as fulfillment or as partnership or as some kind of way to discover your purpose. Now, no doubt, you're, if you are married, it does influence how you're going to discover your purpose and what you're going to do about it. But I think life purpose is greater than marriage. And there's a, there, it, sometimes it, it sends us to the wrong end of the spectrum. On the other end of the spectrum, there's opposition. People in our culture who are just saying, marriage, are you kidding? There are people in our culture right now who believe that marriage is legalized slavery on one level. Yeah, you think I'm being funny. I'm not. It, they actually believe that a marriage comes from some kind of patriarchal, abusive mindset. And that, and that it's not really, it doesn't have much value for today. There's opposition to marriage. And so some people obsess with it. Tim, Tim Keller um, brilliant writer and author, he said, I want someone who will fill every vacancy in me, awaken dom dormant gifts inside, and continuously enrapture me in otherworldly emotional bliss. <laughs> and then he adds, this puts tremendous pressure on another human being. <laughs> so, some, people, some people want to uh, they're obsessed with this. Other people want to get rid of this. They don't want to have anything to do with it. It's interesting to think about historically, before the last few couple hundred years, there was uh, mostly arranged marriages. Mostly marriage was a group decision. A group decided these two people should get together. There were dowries and inheritances involved. It was, it was today, we think about it only through the lens of, lens of romance, which is an obsession in our culture. Fed to us by Hollywood and other recent institutions. And it's commodified 
for our consumption and we buy it and it's deeply disappointing to us but it leaves something out there that we idealize that we make into an idol Zygmunt Bauman uh, wrote a book called Liquid Love and it essentially says we don't know how to form solid attachments anymore we don't know how to actually bond with each other. He describes our uncanny frailty of human bonds and the feeling of insecurity that frailty inspires and then collecting desires to tighten the bonds and yet we want to keep them loose when circumstances change. As they surely will in our liquid modern society, he says over and over again. So. Here's what Eddie Cantor said. Marriage is an attempt to solve problems together, which you didn't even have when you were on your own. <laughs> so in the middle of this, I think if we look at the spectrum, I think there's something better for us. If we look at the uh, obsession and we look at the opposition and we look what's going on and we look at it, what we should see is right in the middle is something called opportunity. Singleness is opportunity. If we go back to Matthew 19 and Jesus' words, the rabbinical debate about marriage, they've come to trap Jesus on this issue and the disciples are shocked at what Jesus says because of the culture they live in and, and how to deal with these dynamics. How do we deal with this kind of thing and Jesus then enters into kind of a, a part of the conversation that he wasn't asked about but he describes something he kind of enters a, a controversial topic he says some people he describes eunuchs for eunuchs some people were born this way some people were made this way some people have chosen to live this way for the sake of the kingdom and then he says something really profound he says and if you can accept that you should. Jewish teaching was opposed to eunuchs of any kind and working from a Genesis procreation narrative, of course, all the major religions, really, if we think about them, the major religions of our world, they, they are against singleness. In the Torah, the eunuch was not allowed to even worship with the Jewish people. Jewish teaching was to get married, have a large family, obey the law, become blessed and rich. That was Jewish teaching. Jesus is introducing something completely different. He always does this with women. He did it with leprosy. He did it with, with lepers, with children, with, with Gentiles. He opens up a whole new level of inclusion and opportunity for this group of people to participate in the covenant blessing of God. And the inheritance is Check this out. The inheritance that these people have, he's, he's pointing to something that Isaiah said. Look at this. God's heart has always been this way. Isaiah 56, 3 through 5 says, Let no foreigner who is bound to the Lord say, The Lord will surely exclude me from his people. And let no eunuch complain, I am only a dry tree. For this is what the Lord says, To the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose what pleases me, and hold fast to my covenant, to them I will give within my temple and its walls a memorial and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that will endure forever. Check that out. This has always been God's heart. 
Eunuchs were seen as qualified for great responsibility because of their limitations. They were trustworthy and uniquely qualified to watch over women and wealth of kings and those in authority. Isaiah is talking about here a spiritual heritage for eunuchs that is foreshadowing what Jesus would say. In Matthew 19, an inheritance in the kingdom that is more memorable and more valuable than any son or daughter. This is a person who receives a name and a reputation for spiritual kingdom life, giving their life completely to the work of God. <laughs> to make it clear, Jesus is using a spiritual metaphor. No, no physical <laughs> requirements are required. But what does this look like? As I'm describing this, you're like, what are you talking about, Pastor Ross? What do you mean? Well, this is where Paul comes in. And let's read Paul in 1 Corinthians 7, 1 through 11. He says, now for the matters you wrote about, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. Do you see how in your scriptures, if you're reading that, there's quotations around that phrase? That's a question. That's a statement that they've made. And he's, he's saying, these are the matters you wrote about. It is good for a man not, he's quoting them. He's, and he's, in verse 2, he kind of says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relations with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. He kind of says, yeah, you, maybe, you kind of you have the idea, because you have to understand what was going on in the Corinthian church. It was rampant immorality in the culture. And they're trying to figure out how to do this. It was a lot like ours. And, and so there's... <laughs> Some were saying, some were saying we should get rid of sex altogether. No sex for anyone. <laughs> and then, because, because that was more spiritual. And then there were others who were saying, no, everything's good with God. You could just do everything, you do anything you want. And those were parallel, or sorry, paradoxical and, and contrasting points of view that um, was going on in the Corinthian church. He says, but since sexual immorality is occurring, each man should have sexual relationships with his own wife and each woman with her own husband. The husband should fulfill his marital duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body but yields it to her husband. In the same way, and I think this verse is significant right here because of the knock on Paul and how negative he is on women. No, he's elevating. He's saying, what, listen, this is important. The husband does not have authority over his own body, but yields it to his wife. Do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time so that you may devote yourselves to prayer, then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command, right? So he's saying, he's, he's couching his comments here. I wish that all of you were as I am, but each of you has your own gift, from God. One has this gift, another has that. Now to the unmarried and the widows, I say it is good for them to stay unmarried as I do, but if they cannot control themselves, they should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. To the married, I give this command, not I, but the Lord. A wife must not separate from her husband, but if she does, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and a husband must not divorce his wife. Now, three things from this passage. We could spend 10 sermons on this passage, right? But, but, but let me just give you three ideas. Paul is saying that there's a of a, an issue about being faithful. I want you to be faithful is what he's talking about to both married people and single people. Be devoted to Christ, not driven by your cravings. He's saying that to both married people and single people. Be devoted to Christ, not by your cravings. We belong to Christ and we belong to each other. 
This is the way it is. In marriage, we don't have the rights to our own bodies. As a single person, you don't have rights to your own bodies. They belong to the Lord. But nobody has the right to their own body. They're, we surrender. We devote our lives. It is better, here's the key, here's the key phrase. You might want to write this down. It is, what Paul is saying, it is better to be single than to settle. It is better to be single than to settle for something that's not good, not his desires, not his purpose, not, not a person you're having to settle for. It's better to marry than to burn, he says, to be consumed with passion and have no outlet, all right? So that's good, but you have to see the context of what he's saying. Marriage cannot fix you if you're broken. Jerry Maguire was not right. None of us get completed by another person. We are complete in Christ. This is what Paul is saying. You've got to understand how, it, how engaged with Christ you are. Number two is hopeful. He's, he's saying, I want you to be hopeful. I want you to trust God instead of making something happen. If you look at the larger context, there's a, there's a discussion about staying married or staying single. And there's a whole, dis, dis, whole uh, uh, big question about how to get unmarried once you've been married. <laughs> Paul is dealing with some of that in this context. But what he's saying, what his big message in this passage is, is trust God instead of trying to make something happen yourself. Be hopeful in him and his direction. Look, look, you've heard me say it many times, church. We trust a person, right? We put our faith in a person, not in an outcome. If you just put your faith in an outcome, you're, depending on what happens, you will be disappointed with the person. But having faith in a person, Jesus Christ, the one and the only, he is the one who knows things that you don't. He knows things about you that not even you know. And there's a trust that we must engage with him. Trust God instead of make stuff happen. And so if you must change your married status, slow down. Whoa. Be hopeful with God. Be hopeful, and there are, there are reasons to change your married status. I get this. Whether you're speeding towards it or trying to get away from it. And then number three, he wants you to be single-minded. That's a play on words, isn't it? Single-minded, focused, seek the kingdom regardless of your status. If you read through the passage, you'll see, and I want you to do that this week, you can see that he is saying, I want you to be consumed with something that is beyond your own status. If you can stay unmarried and leverage your life for the kingdom of God, do it. If you need to marry, don't lose your perspective of kingdom life. Right, because it is the kingdom life that he's talking about living so that you're not bound up by sinfulness. Right, this is, the, this is the thing that leads to marriage. 
right? It's better to, better to marry than to burn, right? That's it, what he's saying, and the context of this is, hey, we're all called to be holy. We're all called to, to find the way in which we yield our passions and our lusts to God. And you think that marriage will fix it. Every married man, every married woman in the room will tell you it doesn't fix it. You still have to continue to offer those things to God and to your spouse. Next week, we're going to talk about that. <laughs> going to talk about marriage and family a little bit. My wife's going to come. She's going to join me. And we're going to talk about marriage a little bit. I, I think it's going to be really, really good. So spiritual power is essential to be being married or single is what Paul's saying. Spiritual life, spiritual courage, the grace from God, single is not just a status, it is a supernatural and surrendered state is what Paul is saying. I'll say that again. Single is not just a status according to Paul. According to Paul, it is a supernatural and surrendered state. And what I would tell you in this room, all of you who are married, is single people need support and help and encouragement from you to get to that state. Marriage is not just a method, it's a mysterious and meaningful marker in our lives. It's, it's something that God uh, uh, it has provided for us, but it definitely is not the only thing. So how do you thrive in singleness? Well, you drop down a few more um, verses and, it, and you see Paul kind of coming to this conclusion. Verse 32 says, I would like you to be free from concern. An unmarried man is concerned about the Lord's affairs, how he can please the Lord. But a, man, a married man is concerned about the affairs of this world and how he can please his wife. And his interests are divided. Divided. An unmarried woman or virgin is concerned about the Lord's affairs. Her aim is to be devoted to the Lord in both body and spirit, but a married woman is concerned about the affairs of this world. How can she, she can please her husband? I am saying this for your own good, not to restrict you. Notice the heart behind it. But that you may live in a right way in undivided devotion to the Lord. Here's what it looks like to thrive in singleness. Number one, I think there is something that we have to talk about that you are fulfilled. There is, there is a fulfilling thing. Marriage is sacred and therefore uniquely spiritual, but it is not the ultimate fulfillment for relationships. It is not the ultimate fulfillment for relationships. And if you talk to enough people, you will find out it is the opposite of fulfillment in relationships. That's why our country has a 50% divorce rate. Second marriages, 70% divorce rate. Because people bring their baggage with them to the second marriage. Listen, we live in a cultural time where we have to think deeply and honestly about these things. And we have to relate to each other in a way that serves one another and helps each other as a church, as a community. Listen, <clears throat> Marriage is not the ultimate fulfillment for relationships. Only God can do that. Only God can be the ultimate fulfillment for married or single. And we can't idolize marriage because it includes sex. 
This is, this is the way of the world to sexualize every relationship this way, to see everything through the lens and the filter of sexuality rather than to define love and its depths based, based, on, based on a calling or a purpose or, or a, the one who saved us and rescued us. Any, any definition of love that just is based on attraction or sexual fulfillment or, or just in the act itself is wholly and completely unbiblical. S- Abby Smith, again, I'll just quote her. Scripture says fulfillment, sexual or otherwise, does not come by marriage. Fulfillment comes by Christ and his body and our dependent participation and thus transformation, waiting, watching, and abiding in relentless love herein. Marriage does not fix your junk. Marriage, the best marriages are still complicated. The best marriages are still complicated. And that's why we'll devote time to that next week. Celebrate it. I want people in our church, when I want single people in our church to to be celebrated, I want to say to you that the dignity of singleness must be recaptured as a spiritual gift. The dignity of singleness recaptured. We need to raise the level of spirituality in the discussion of singleness and celibacy and marriage. I want to dignify the calling in the life of an unmarried person. I don't even like the word single, really, (laughs) if we're getting honest about it, because it betrays the idea that we're all living in a community, that we are all part of a spiritual family. You are not single if you are part of one chapel and part of his body. Right, like I, I, I want us to be more attentive to this. The facts are we need everyone to belong to this family, to exercise and acknowledge their spiritual gifts. Everyone has gifts. And to recognize that singleness, whether you have the gift of celibacy or not, <laughs> requires support, requires encouragement, requires spiritual power. I think this, the idea of being honored within the family is so important. Psalm 68, 6 says, God sets the lonely in families. There is a thriving that can only come in within the context of the family of God. And I want you to think about this, One Chapel. Just think about this when you're right here at the end. What are all of our church celebrations often centered around? They're centered around weddings. They're centered around baby dedications. They're centered around these. Could it be that we need to do a better job at one chapel of celebrating what's going on in the lives of the single people in our community? You can always celebrate a birthday because that celebrates them. And sometimes there are single people living within our city, within our community, that don't have family near, that they are just kind of doing their best to make a family here, and we need to be that for them. And we need to be aware of it. We need to lift our eyes for it. Could, could we celebrate together? Could, could, we, could we have parties for accomplishments, for career accomplishments? Could we have parties together with people for successes and great friendships? I don't think we should get rid of any excuse to throw a party at one chapel. <laughs> it's true. More parties. Less crinkled foreheads. (laughs) 
Because God, here's why, because God has called us to gather as one. We need to be gathered as one, single, married. Those who are trying to figure out where they belong, we are gathered. This is our namesake. One chapel is from John 17 where Jesus said, Father, make them one like you and I are one. And then he gave a reason for it. He said, so that the world will believe that you sent me. Finally, influential. I want you to think about if you're a single person leveraging your role in the kingdom and in community. Leverage your role in the kingdom and community. And I would think you have to do three things to do this. You have to believe different. You have to believe different. You have to get a theological vision for your singleness. It has to be more than just, oh, I don't, I, 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 don't, I don't have anybody. Now, if you're 20, you're thinking, oh, yeah, this is great. If you're 40, you're like, whoa, where is God? Right? You're kind of trying to figure this out, and I understand that. Please know that this is a, this is a place where you can wrestle that to the ground. A theological vision for your singleness. You have more freedom and more time, according to the Apostle Paul and according to my experience with five children, the number one value in America, you know what it is? It's time. People hate their life if they have tons of money and no time. Think about that. They hate their life if they have tons of money. Young, old, married kids, you don't, you don't have near as much freedom as when you're single. I, I, I essentially live in a black hole. I don't know what's going on. <laughs> People come up and they say to me, hey, did you hear about this? It's like, No. Just anything, whenever you have a question about whether I've heard about something, just assume that I haven't heard, seen, or read about it. Because my life is consumed right now in getting children out the door. <laughs> the, think of this. The average person, now wait for it, this is crazy. Average person will spend 10,000 hours playing video games by the time they turn 21. Do you know what you can do with 10,000 hours? <sighs> Malcolm Gladwell talked about this. It makes you an expert at something. You can get a bachelor's degree in 10,000 hours. You can get a master's degree in 10,000 hours. There is discretionary time in our culture. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. You have time. I have more time than I think I do. The world is on fire with need. People need Jesus so desperately. They are trying to fill themselves up with all this junk. And they need somebody to be with them. Somebody to, to walk with them. Somebody to be interested in them. And you have time for it. Monday nights bunch of young adults, both married and single, is, a, is an illustration of more collaboration, more connectedness, more encouragement, more creating of a family. That happens right here tomorrow night. A place for young adults is so incredible. Believe different. Believe differently about yourself. Finally, B is resist distraction, and C is embrace discovery. Resist distraction and embrace discovery. Let me just hit it real quick. Become a person of consequence in the kingdom. You can. Jesus know, wants to know you more deeply than you believe. 
The church needs your gifts. The church needs your, your freedom. Get a vision. Write it down. Live in a way that is meaningful to this cultural moment for you. Don't get distracted by this other stuff. Don't get, don't get distracted by marriage or the possibility of it. You can sit down and you can scroll through some profiles at match.com and burn an hour and a half. Don't do it. I mean, listen, I'm not opposed to technology. It's become our global village. What I'm opposed to is being poorly motivated. Have the right motivation. Have a right picture, the right perspective. Paul had such a vision for the beauty of Jesus and the wonder of his resurrection life inside of him that it drove him to be relentless. See is embrace discovery. Realize who you are in Christ. Discover who you are. If you date too much, here's the problem. Here's the problem with dating. If you date too much, you're putting on the best version of yourself all the time. Let's say everybody's like, what? Yes, you're trying to be your, the best self all the time, and you don't discover what you really like. You don't discover what you're really wired up for. Leverage your time to study, discover, pursue your doubts. Go to One Chapel College. Do something that invests your time and energy into the life of the kingdom. This is, I think, how we thrive together. So let's pray. Father, would you convict our hearts for, of being disconnected, unconcerned, unaware, inattentive of our brothers and sisters? Lord, we, we ask you to forgive us for not thinking like a family and thinking just like individuals. Forgive us as a church for just being consumed with what's in front of us rather than what's all around us. Lord, would you do something in our hearts because of uh, this concept, this idea? Would you do something? Would you convict us? Would you heal us? Would you strengthen us? Would you put us together like never before? Would you help us as married couples and married families to, to lean in to those who are not? Would you help all of us who are single and who are trying to figure out the next season of our life to lean in to those who are not single? Would you keep us from being separated and segregated and would you put us together into the family you long for us to be so that the world will believe that you were sent. Give us love for each other and love for you. Help us to develop real relationships, honest, open, loving, supportive. Thank you for this, Lord. We thank you for this. And all that you're doing, we say yes. We say yes to you. We say yes to relationship with you and we say yes to relationship with others. Forgive us, heal us, and strengthen us. Thank you. In your name, Jesus, we pray.